and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host uh, and friend, Jonathan Peel. Oh, hi, Julia. <laughs> You're my friend, hi, well, too. <laughs> well, this this leads in nicely to uh, to the topic for today. But, but before we get into that, um, dear listeners, this is our last episode of, uh, I was going to say the year of our Lord 2020, but I don't know, the year of, well, you know, the, the year that it was, 2020. Um, and so when we start uh, Juice and Squeeze 2021, um, we are eager to do it with with some listener input. We have loved the suggestions and emails that we've gotten in the past about uh, topics that you're eager to hear us uh, talk about. But maybe if we can make a New Year's resolution for you, are you allowed to do that? Can you make New Year's resolutions for other people? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, Wait, no, wait, wait, hold on. Let me reframe that. Uh, Listeners, why don't you make New Year's resolutions for us and send us some feedback about what you'd like to hear us talk about in the new year? What are some topics that we haven't yet covered that you are eager to hear about? You can send those to us uh, on our website. There's a, a, a submission form, juiceandsqueeze.net, or you can email them to us at thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com. And while you're there, you can also send us your mailing address if you'd like a sticker. We still have stickers to send out, we do. don't we? Yeah. I, I ordered a bunch. So yeah, yeah and, we have stickers to send. And, and postcards. And we'd love to send you a little Juice and Squeeze postcard just to thank you for being a listener. So the topic of the day is uh, academic friendships and support networks outside of traditional mentors. So we did an episode um, some weeks, months ago about uh, mentorship and what it means to have a mentor and how to be a mentor and what kinds of mentors to seek out. Um, but what we what wasn't included um, enough for our tastes in that one is talking about uh, the the support network that we have, our support staff our pit crew, um, beyond, you know, the, the people who are very senior to us and have been doing this a lot longer and take us gently under their wings and teach us the ways of the world. Um, so, you know, how we, how we get advice and support and, uh, uh, help through various things in our careers from, from friends, from peers, from, you know, people who are not officially our mentors. So one thing that I think is interesting, by the way, as we were preparing for this episode, is there isn't a great word for those people. I mean, friends is fine, but it's it's. It, I think it can go beyond that. There are people I get support from that I don't necessarily consider friends in like the traditional sense. We're not enemies, but they're you know supportive colleagues. Um, so I think that almost highlights that it's a little bit of a gray area or just something we don't talk about a lot, right? Or we'd we'd have a better word for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a better word for it. I'm just, I'm just highlighting that. Um, but you know, could we just start for a minute and talk about why it's useful to have these people who aren't mentors, or or, or what different role that might fill? Yeah. So, um, so there is, I think, uh, a cheerleading component of it, right? That it's nice to have people who just are are being nice and encouraging. Right. When especially when 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 things are tricky, Um, uh, there's a component of it that is like, um, I don't know, just someone who's in the trenches with you and you Mm -hmm. can bounce ideas off of and and, and not feel alone. Well, yeah, because a a lot of uh, a lot of my mentors were um, uh, decades further along in their career than me. And so if I'm struggling with something in graduate school, like even if they're. The, the most perfect sympathetic mentor you know in the world 
it's been it's been a long time since they dealt with that and so you know their advice is going to be limited yep i know i've told the story about when my my dad got offered his uh professor job and it was just like somebody calling him up and offering him a job that he hadn't applied for Uh and you know back in 1960 whatever um yeah and so you know when i was on the job market it's nice to have uh people who have done that more recently and have a better sense of what it's what it's like to go through that that, Although, did, course, that didn't happen to you. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. No. Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, the other thing I think is um, people who are in mentor, you know, we're making lots of generalizations and, and so on, but like, but a lot of times people who are in mentor positions are also very busy. Uh, and so mm-hmm. if you, uh, if I need to like whine about um, paperwork that I'm filling out for an hour, my mentors may not be available for that. Right. But, but Julia might be. And so I can call Julia up and, uh, and complain a little bit and get some sympathy and it helps me feel better and kind of get through it. But I, I don't have to, um, you know, make an appointment for three weeks in the future to get on the calendar of one of my mentors. Oh, there, there, dear. I'm, I'm giving you some sympathy. You can just now, now that you have, now that you have that recording, you can just use it whenever you need it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to bother you anymore. Right. <laughs> um, and I guess the other thing I just wanted to point out is I, I think it, in a perfect world, uh, our mentors would would be just fully supportive and and not judge us for asking you know stupid questions because there are no stupid questions and so on. But but even if that was true, and it's probably not always true, but even if that was true, I would still feel um, some hesitancy about asking certain types of of questions. Right? I mean, just like. What, because I don't want to feel stupid or because I feel like I should know the answer or whatever. And so, you know, lowering the bar to asking people stuff and finding bigger uh, or not better resources, but, you know, a broader network of people to ask, I think is also really useful. Uh, And, you know, mentors are often in a position of writing your letters of recommendation. And so, you know, you might want to be, you might think about the kinds of stuff you're asking them. And, And again, I'm not saying you should have to filter all that stuff. But anyway, it's just handy to have people that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially you know, given the like letters of recommendation and power dynamics, if what you're struggling with is like, maybe I'm not smart enough to do this, that can be really hard to, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you may be reluctant to confess that to someone who is in a lot of power over you. Right. Um, and, and so having other people to talk about that stuff with maybe, maybe easier and, and more um, productive. Okay, I was just on powerthesaurus.org uh, and, and looking at uh, things like support team. Um, I don't like any of these. Group support, backup team, self-help group. No, none of these are quite right. Um, what, what, are you, what word are you putting in? Oh, I've tried lots of different ones. I was just, okay. I, uh, that was just uh, related to support group. But it kind of is like a, like your support group, right? Like it's like your team. Yep. Uh, yeah. All right, listeners, if you have a good name for this this group of people, network. I also have because uh, I, so I pulled that page up too. Uh, <laughs> there's also grief group. Uh, nope, and that, nope, that could nope. be, that, okay. Uh, Band aid. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. Um, associates apprentices no 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 i yeah okay um all right so so for cheerleading for support and and commiseration um 
uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe this ties in with support, but also like, um, I, I think, um, often many of my peers, when I have like gone to them with questions about things like, you know, I'm a first term teacher and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And I go to somebody else who's a first term teacher and knows how the challenges associated with that. And they can say, oh, I've tried this and it works well. Um, and, you know, in that sense, like they're, they are giving you advice the way a mentor might, but it's advice that is maybe particularly well suited to you because they're going through the exact same thing. So mm -hmm. they know, you know, exactly what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those seem, those seem like the, the things that we use, that I have used my support network for the most. Okay, so then the next question is, uh, where where are we getting this support? Not everyone is lucky enough to have a podcast co-host like Jonathan Peel. So where uh, where else can we get this kind of, of peer support? Um, and, and it's also important to note, I think this is going to change a lot over career stages. Maybe we can also talk about like where it came from at different times in our career. Yeah, so for me, I, I do. So in graduate school, um, I pretty much exclusively got that support from like the, my fellow PhD students. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, not all of them, but there, there was a group of us who, who got to be close. Our labs were nearby and we'd see each other in the hallway. And, uh, some of us were in the same lab. And, and this was also like, I mean, we have the internet, but I feel like, you know, online support stuff was not such a thing then, um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, as an option, which I think is a really, a really cool change that's happened in the last 15 years. But, but anyway, for me, that wasn't really on, on my radar. And so it was really just like people down the hall, um, which we can, which you can talk about. But then uh, as I kind of transitioned, you know, fast forward to getting a faculty job and most of this peer support now for me has come from people at other institutions and not, not sort of my peers down the hall, you know, for various okay. reasons. So that was sort of a, a big change in not only the people I looked to, um, but sort of like the mode of accessing them. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I had to be a lot more intentional, too, because I wasn't bumping into these people walking down the hall. I'd have to, like, you know, try to email them and set up a time to have a Skype call or whatever, you know, to, like, t touch base and, and uh, uh, complain or whatever was going on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I um my my support crew in grad school, I had kind of had two, two two different groups. One was like the lab that I worked in, um which was awesome because we, you know, helped each other with work stuff, but also all of our kind of research interests and projects were different enough that it never felt at all competitive or anything. I mean, I don't know if that's cuz our mm -hmm. research agendas were different or what, but it never felt at all competitive. You know, it was really um friendly and collaborative and helpful. And we could, um, you know, complain about the things that were hard about whatever was going on. Um, and we're also good friends outside of work. Um, and I feel like that's really, really useful because it's easier to talk to people about stuff that's hard at work. If you already have a relationship with them and they care about you for other, you know, as a human being, not just like as a coworker. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I felt very grateful that like the lab that I came into, the more senior students were super like kind and welcoming and, you know, uh, um, helped me feel at home both personally and professionally. Um, and you know, and we're still close. And, um, so, so that was, that was really useful. It was also really useful in, for me in grad school to have friends who were like in different departments or at least in like different kind of sub areas 
um, who were going, who are like in, basically in different positions and we weren't publishing in the same journals or trying to do the same things. Um, but they were still, you know, grad students and trying to figure, find their way and stuff. So I had good friends like in the, in the clinical psych program as well. Um, and that was really nice because they were going through very different stuff and it was interesting to hear about their different stuff. But um, it was similar enough that we could still, you know, support each other and puzzle puzzle things out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and sometimes it's helpful to get people who are um, anyway. It's, they're not going through the identical thing because because they can offer a different perspective or or just help us to to step back a little bit, right? And so yeah, yeah. lots of academics understand the pressures of publishing or of writing, but but maybe you can talk about that instead of like getting into the weeds on like you know, the fourth decimal point of your, you know, T statistic is different if you do it one way versus the other. And which is not that that's not stressful, but like, you know, there's different levels you can kind of get support on. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then when I was kind of transitioning to being a PI, uh, the, this, the kind of support that I needed changed pretty dramatically. Cause then it was figuring out, you know, a new institution and teaching and, you know, it was kind of a, a figuring out more things and and very different things. Um, And so I have found it really useful to have friends who are at the same career stage, uh, but are in different academic departments. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends at Carleton who, you know, joined the same time, started about the same time that I did, um, but are in kind of different departments. Um, And I think having people who are in a slightly different position from you is really useful, especially when you're first starting out, because I think it can be very easy for people to get a little bit like competitive or just, you know, do not even competitive, but just like comparing yourself. Be mm-hmm. like, oh, look at so-and-so. They already had their lab set up or so-and-so is already working on their book or something. And they're only in their first year, just like me. Um, and and so, you know, having people who are in a slightly different department, in, in a different department or doing really different things, I think can can help um alleviate that Mm -hmm. but that being said i was lucky enough to have another faculty member start in the department the same year that i did um and she and i are very close and have been great support for each other um over the years and so i think you know there are there are benefits benefits to both like how intentional were you or did you have to be at these different stages i mean anyway i mean it sounds like you're you were aware of these supports but did you did you have to did you feel like you had to go search this out a little bit or did you kind of feel like you lucked into it? So having, having somebody else um, hired the same year that I did, I feel like was lucking into it, right? Mm-hmm. That our offices were just down the hall and we would just regularly be like, oh my gosh, I can't figure out this. Have you figured out how to set up your health insurance or, mm-hmm. you know, talk mm-hmm. to the, do the paperwork of whatever. Um, so that I feel like I, I kind of lucked into. Um, uh, Carlton has a great new faculty orientation program that really uh, was conducive to having all of us who joined at the same time in different departments kind of bond. Um, But then I was deliberate in um, setting up social things outside of that, you know, being like, hey, all the new faculty, let's all go out for drinks after orientation is over or things like that. Um, I think that's just because I'm a super extrovert, though. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of like, these people will be helpful in my academic career. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, these people will be my friends and I want friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, I think having, having that blurry line of like people who are your friends who can give you good advice and are invested in you is really good. Yeah. was for me anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like um, 
So as a postdoc, I, I definitely remember. Um, so as a graduate student, I think I, I didn't really think about this, and I and I was fortunate to have peers that were supportive, and so I you know I didn't feel like I was lacking. Uh, as mm-hmm. a postdoc, I do remember um, a couple of times people who I sort of knew vaguely, but who seemed like they were nice, smart people who I mm-hmm. like. I, I I was intentional about trying to be friends with them, um, mm-hmm. and and which um, uh, at least in anyway the cases I'm thinking of like worked out great, and they ended up being like really good friends and very supportive. But I definitely had to like take some initiative, you know, because there's mm-hmm. lots of us there and we're all busy, and um, so so that was a good lesson for me. Uh, and then as a faculty member, for me, uh, and I you know not to complain too much or whatever, it's all fine. But I I didn't really look into any support. Um, so there were no other assistant professors my year or nearby. Uh, and then there were a couple hired after me, but they were doing like really different research. I don't remember any new faculty orientation. Uh, in fairness, there may have been one that I skipped. Um, but, you know, I, I really felt like I was in my office on my own. And so I, I had to, it was, the, the onus was on me to basically, so basically I like, you know, emailed all of my old postdoc and grad school friends um, who were starting labs and, and, you know, tried to, to be in touch that way. But in the, it was really only one or two people who I stayed in touch with, but that was super helpful um, for like real advice. And also just for like normalizing my experience, you know, like, Oh, X, Y, and Z are really hard. And I had no idea. And they would say, Oh yeah, it, it's exactly the same for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like just somebody saying, Oh yeah, it's exactly the same for me is like, that can be so reassuring. Yeah. Well, because right? that like, it, yeah. things are hard because I'm a failure inadequate. Things are hard because things are hard. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that's been true. Most career, I, I, I don't remember early grad school going through this, although I probably did, but certainly for several postdocs and for my, you know, for my faculty position, it was always harder than I thought. I thought, well, at this point I've gotten so much training. I know what I'm doing. And then you get, mm-hmm. you know, a whole bunch of new stuff thrown at you and, and you don't know what you're doing because that stuff is new. You're not an expert in that, right? Um, like I had never written a grant before and that was like now a major part of my job and turns out that's tricky. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was really helpful to have people sort of going through that um, uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that, that brings up a nice point, which is that different people in your support network you know, can be helpful for different things. Um, Mm -hmm. And we talked in a mentorship episode about the, what we thought was kind of a flawed idea that your mentor is like the one person you need who can teach you anything, everything you need. Um, And then actually like you need a bunch of people, you know, it uh, takes a, takes a whole village of pit crew to, Mm -hmm. um, um, to help you with everything you need. Um, And, and so I have some, you know, some, the academic friends and support people who I turn to for some things and not others. So there are some people that I don't have, um, that I don't talk about grants or publishing with, but I do commiserate with about the challenges of, you know, having small children at home while being an academic Mm -hmm. or, um, um, like one, one of, one of my best friends who is also a professor, we talk regularly about like, teaching issues and, oh, I have a student who's going through this and how should I deal with this? Um, but we don't talk much about research because she doesn't do the, you know, the kind of, or she doesn't do research that, and, and I do. So it's like, um, different, different people. Yeah. Different people, you know, are, are important for, for different things. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's one of the reasons that it's so nice to have a nice varied 
arsenal of people that you can turn to because one person can't ever give you everything. Yeah. And there's another aspect here, which we, I don't know how far we want to go into, but um, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of support from people I don't know. And by that, I mean, like, um, to some extent podcasts, but, but more so Twitter. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it's sort of like, I, so I've had interactions with people on Twitter that have become acquaintances or friends or whatever, but even just yeah. reading other people share their experiences, you know, we're talking about kind of normalizing the things that are challenging. Um, that's been really useful for me. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think part of my, one of the things I, 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 I'm intentional about trying to do on Twitter for me is just to like share the stuff I'm going on. And, and, and it probably tends to be too complaining. And maybe I also need to do a better job about sharing the good stuff, but anyway, but sharing the complaining stuff um, was really useful for me as a, especially as a a starting professor and a postdoc on the job market and so on. Um, And so I think just trying to normalize um, what we're, what many of us are going through is is useful. Uh, And Mm so and, and grant advice and things like that, that I've, I've really benefited a lot from people who don't know me, but who are just sharing their experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so friends don't even have to be anybody you've ever actually met or, you know, seen their face other than a little avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause you can, there are lots of, yeah, lots of, lots of different places you can, you can get support. Well, that's, you, um, as, as you know, Julia, that's one reason we're doing this podcast is to share our experiences with people and trying to be supportive, even if we haven't met them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're there, dear listener. Right. <laughs> um. Okay. So so that kind of um, transitions nicely into one of the other things that I that I wanted to talk about is is getting support through these kind of like digital communities. Um. I think there's probably a whole episode on Twitter coming at some point, but mm-hmm. um, there are, for instance, uh, like Slack groups that are intended to be you know, online communities where people can gather and talk about stuff. Um, so there's a, a new PI Slack that is not psych specific. It's even science specific, but like new PIs in science. I don't know. Um, uh, but it, um, it's a, you know, a Slack channel where people can just get together and talk about stuff and uh, share perspectives and ask about grants. And, um, and it's a nice way of kind of breaking down, breaking down barriers because, uh, People are, I think, more likely to send a Slack message um, to somebody who is also on this. And, you know, it's clear they want to be part of that community um, than, you know, to just, I don't know, cold email somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also so much easier to, like, get a sense of who's nice and who's going to respond in a nice way when you're, you know, in a venue where people are like, here's a picture of my cat. Mm-hmm. Who else is ready for grading <laughs> right. to be done or whatever. Right. right? And you're like, oh. They're they're just a human who has a cat and doesn't like grading. They're not so different from me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, can I see a copy of the grant that you submitted because I need to submit one now? Right. Um, so yeah. So new PI Slack can be great. Um, there's also one that that I'm a part of that's called um, uh, Pops, which is primarily undergraduate institution um, open science, uh, uh, open psychological science network. So it's um, for people who are at small liberal arts colleges or other types of primarily undergraduate institutions who are interested in open science. Um, and, you know, it's just a nice little community where we can go to go to each other for, for advice about things um, as well. And so those are the kind of things that <clears throat> anybody can join, low barrier to entry, you know, easy to easy to become a part of, um, and a nice way to, to 
get additional support outside of your home institution. How do you, how do you find those groups? I found them on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, and, and pops, I guess, came out of conversations that happened at SIPs. So I guess they can like come out of, uh, uh, conferences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which, which I guess also brings up conference, conference friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, you know, ways that you can, another way to seek out people who are in your discipline, who are doing interesting things is, you know, making, making friends and connections at conferences. Um, we have a whole episode on, on conferencing. Um, but that's also a way that I have, you know, just by, by being friendly with people at conferences now, am uh, there are people that I'm much more comfortable reaching out to and saying, Hey, I have a question about whatever. Can we talk? So if someone isn't on Twitter and they're feeling, um, you know, like they, they don't have these things, I guess, you know, so if you're listening to this episode, we can link to some stuff in the show notes, which will be at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 34. Um, and apart from that, you can, um, you know, you can try to Google these things, but I think, you know, it does take a little bit of effort in terms of either, either being engaged on Twitter or asking around or just Googling and trying, trying stuff. And it could be that it takes you a while to find, the right thing or the thing that works, but, um, but there are a lot of things out there, I guess. And so I think depending on who your friends are and your social networks, um, you know, not like the websites, but like your actual social networks of the people, you know, I think some of these seem really obvious and like, you've heard about them for years, but for other people, you may have never heard about these. Um, so just for myself, I've heard about these, but like no one I knew was really involved. And so I just, I never, I never got into them. Um, but, mm-hmm. but they, now I think I, now I think I would try harder. Um, but the other thing I wanted to point out is you can also start your own group, like whether that's like a group, um, you know, a group text thread or like your own Slack workspace cause they're free or, you know, pick your, pick your medium that you want to communicate on. But if you, if you take two or three or four or eight people that you know and get along, you could start your own, your own group. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, and most people now, how involved people are going to be, I don't know, but people aren't going to be offended. Like Julia, if I said, let's start a a Slack workspace for podcasters about academics, right? And I'm going to yeah. invite you. And then, you know, these other five people that we know, like maybe that turns into a really cool support network or maybe after a month, no one contributes and then you have to do something else. Like I've I've done a bunch of those over the years where I I'm really yep. excited and no one else cares. Um, but anyway, but the point is you, dear listener can sort of, um, try to think about this for yourself and, uh, especially for, well, I was going to say, especially for people not at your institution, but with all this working mm-hmm. from home and COVID and blah, blah, blah. I mean, maybe that kind of group is even useful for, you know, for your colleagues who normally are sharing an office or right down the hall, but now you haven't seen, in six months or nine months or whatever. Yep. Yeah. There, there are also, um, there are some like mentorship, uh, kinds of opportunities or, you know, networking kinds of opportunities that professional organizations do. So we had put out a call on Twitter asking for, asking people for, you know, to, for information about where their support comes from. Um, and a few people mentioned, uh, like professional societies that have mentoring opportunities. Um, and so if that's another thing that you're interested in, you know, when you're learning about, 
uh, uh, when you're researching conferences that you might go to, um, you know, making sure you're on on those email lists. So when things when opportunities come about, you can take advantage of those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in line with the like professional institutions or professional, yeah, professional um, uh, uh, organizations, um, there are also like groups and organizations who may share your values or support causes that you care about or, or those kinds of things. Um, and those can be really nice for finding people who have a, a common interest. Um, so there's, there's one, uh, which is called FORT, the Framework for Open and Reproducible Research Training. Um, and they are, uh, it's a, it's an organization of people who are interested in integrating open and reproducible science into higher education. So it's basically trying to make it easier for people to teach uh, uh, open science and incorporate open science um, in the curriculum. Um, and so I uh, learned about them, I think, from SIPs and from Twitter um, and, you know, interacted with the, the organizers some on Twitter um, and then, you know, and then realized that they're going to have really good insights about a lot of this kind of stuff that I'm interested in. So I've since been, you know, working on some projects um, with them. Uh, and now when I have questions about teaching and open science, um, you know, I, I have, I have a little community that I can go to and mm-hmm. I wouldn't exactly call them, you know, they're, they're not mentors, but they're, they're buddies. They're my open science teaching buddies. And now mm-hmm. we can talk to each other and help each other with stuff. Um, and, and that all just came from saying, Hey, there's an organization that I think is cool. I'm going to connect with them in whatever ways I can. And, you know, that kind of builds another another uh, uh, node in the support network. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked in the past about um, kind of conferences and quote unquote networking, you know, the term that we don't like. But I, you know, I'm, I'm what I'm thinking is so again, if you're if you're someone who has all the support already in place and you don't need anything else, um, that's great. And maybe actually in a minute, Julia, we could talk about like what kinds of like how can you use that network, assuming you have it. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very sympathetic for people who don't have the support that they want, uh, and because mm-hmm. it can't that that step to go. How do you go from not having any support to having some or having enough? I think can be challenging. So I, that's why I'm kind of focusing on like the brainstorming. How do you do it? So so yeah. one thing is if there are conferences uh, uh, or organizations that, that align with your values and interests, is is don't think about conferences only for, you know, um, sharing your research or learning about research in your area, but there might be, um, there might be ways for more support networking. I'm sorry, I hate networking, but you know, meeting, meeting people who have shared values, who can be a support to you, whether or not they're, um, they're going to be your best friends. Uh Right. And so, Uh so, so for example, if there's a, a conference about open science practices, and that's something that you value, um, you might be able to go or these days maybe participate online for free or for cheap. And that would be a way to meet people who are also at the conference. And even if you don't learn anything about open science, because you're an expert already, uh, you've now met people with shared values and you might stay in touch after the conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was at, um, I went to a virtual conference um, a couple of weeks ago um, uh, called AMOS, um, A-I-M-O-S, which is uh, uh, Association for Interdisciplinary Meta Research and Open Science. Um, And it was a conference that I hadn't been to before because it's usually in Australia, but it was, you know, virtual, so it was easy to go to. Um, And 
Yeah. And met someone in a session and it was a session that, um, it, it had a lot of content that I was already familiar with, but I met somebody who I thought was cool and doing good work. And so I emailed him afterwards because I had a question about this thing, this issue I've been dealing with, um, with a journal. And I was like, Hey, would you just be willing to zoom with me and talk about, you know, this issue related that, that I've been having? Um, and then we had a lovely conversation and now next time I have questions about that kind of thing, or, you know, have students who are interested in researching that kind of thing or something, that's like somebody that I would go to, um, for, you know, for help and support and and questions. So Mm -hmm. I think those kinds of virtual conferences, especially if you follow up with people afterwards, um, can be very useful, Mm -hmm. right? Like we have all met people at conferences or somebody's come to a poster or, you know, randomly interact with somebody. Um, and then if you don't do anything about it afterwards, you just, it just disappears out of both of your minds and you might have some flicker of glimmer of recognition later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, after, after going to conferences or after having those kinds of interactions, even just sending a note and saying, Hey, it was really nice to talk to you about this thing. I would love to, you know, I hope our paths cross again or something. Mm-hmm. I feel like just having some, um, having your email address, you know, in their email, in, in their inbox just adds a little more of a connection and is an opportunity for them to say, it makes it more likely that in the future, when something comes up related to what you talked about, they'll say, Oh yeah, I remember having a conversation with so-and-so about Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think following up, like kind of being, being proactive about that um, is, is, is really useful too. Maybe another, like just um, a facet of this or a different perspective is I think it's very easy to think about, um, you know, these academic friendships, the way we're saying your, your pit crew, your support network is like finding the people who are going to hold you up and carry you through this, through hard times, which is, which is true. Like that's part of it. But I think in reality, like you're also providing support for them. And so mm-hmm. you're not just like this mooch who's going to like, you know, you get, find all these people and like steal their energy so that you can't you through your career. Right. right. Um, but I think it's important, right? So when you're reaching out to these people and making connections, you know, it kind of feels like, or to me, it feels like I'm asking them for a big favor and not offering anything. But I think mm-hmm. in reality, you know, and, and not all of these, just like whatever, just like non-academic friendships, not everything works out and, and maybe you're not going to be in touch five years from now, but, but you might be. Um, and when it works, it, it, it's, you know, the most healthy kind of support networks I think is, are really mutually beneficial. Uh, and so, so if you email five people and say, Hey, can we start a Slack workspace? Um, you know, they're going to benefit from that too. It's not just them donating their time to you. Uh, and so I think having that perspective, like lowers the bar a little bit about, about approaching people that way. Mm-hmm. I too have something to offer. Right. Exactly. And, and maybe you don't even know yeah. what it is, or maybe it's just like, you're the organizer. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's more than that, but like everyone, you know, everyone needs something. Everyone needs a support network and, uh, and you mm-hmm. can be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I can offer, but I know I am nice and will do my best. Right. Which That's, honestly yeah. counts for a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yep. so what kinds of things, you know, do you think, I mean, I think there are some obvious things that if we have a support network, uh, we tend to ask them about or, or, or turn to them for, um, mm-hmm. but like, are, are there non-obvious things? I mean, so for obvious things, I'm thinking like, I've never done a thing before and I know people who have. I'm going to ask them about it. Like I'm writing a grant and I'm struggling or haven't done it before. And I know Julia has, so I'm going to, you know, try to ask her about it. Um, and there's you know a million things in that category, but are there, 
are there like less obvious things that we can rely on people for? Um, so, uh, so there are also like the more kind of personal things Mm -hmm. of, I am not feeling motivated during the pandemic. How Mm -hmm. about you? Is anything working for you? What are you doing to keep yourself accountable? Mm Because it's hard right now. Um, So I think those kind of like, you know, things that aren't, um, I want to know how to do a specific thing, but it's more just like, how are you coping, man? How how are you making it work? I want to know how to do life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, or like, hey, I sometimes uh, say yes to too many things and take on too many projects. And can you Mm -hmm. give me your advice about how how to do that less? Um, but you know, one, one thing that comes to mind as you say that is, is, you know, there's a certain level of, of trust. I think you need to share some uh of this stuff with people. And, and Uh to some degree, the more, the more you need help with something, uh, maybe the more trust you, you need with someone to share it. I mean, you know, just more personal things or, or things that were, um, um, whatever, uh, insecure about, for example. Uh, and so, so it's, it's, I think it would be hard if I met someone who I thought was cool at a conference and then like, you know, my first email to them was like, you know, dear <laughs> Julia, I really struggle with how to manage my time and efforts and, uh, having kids mm-hmm. as an academic, please help me. Uh, that would be weird for you. And like, I, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable sharing that. Uh, and so in a way, I think structuring these networks, you know, nominally around some academic stuff helps you build the relationships that for some people you can then, you know, to a, to a writing group or to a a Slack group or to a fellow student or whatever, you can kind of say, Oh, actually I'm really struggling with this other thing, you know, which may or may not be academic, but you, you like, you know, each other already. Yeah. Yeah. So, so different people, right. Can be useful for different things. And, uh, uh, and there are some things you kind of have to have to work up to being able to to talk to people about. Um, Another reason that I think it's another way that it's nice to have these kind of like built in either organizations or or support networks are also if you're having issues. So it's not like a grant or like I'm having trouble being motivated, but you're having uh, issues, especially that relates to like personal identity and having people who you can talk to uh, about those identity issues, right? So there are professional organizations for people of color in particular academic disciplines, for women in particular academic disciplines, for LGBTQA people in, you know, who, uh, in, a, in a particular discipline. Um, and I think those can be uh, incredibly useful for getting input and support from people who are more likely to understand some of the challenges that come with those identities. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as we've talked about before, given the structure of academia um, and the, the history of academia, mentors are m- most commonly in many disciplines, especially in the sciences, going to be going to be white men. And so it's very nice to be able to have um, support both from a mentoring level and from a support team kind of level um, to help to help academia be, be more inclusive generally. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned, Jonathan, about like people you go to if um, you want to, you know, if you're like writing a grant, something you haven't done before and you, you know, need, need advice about how to do. Um, I've also found it really useful to have a, a network of people for helping me with tasks, even if I have done them, if they're just things that are always hard. So I've done um, a couple of writing groups over the years where uh, either we set time aside to write or we actually look at each other's drafts, you know, and say like mm-hmm. once a month we're going to get together and look at somebody's draft for something. 
Um, and and those kinds of that kind of support can be really nice too, both for keeping you accountable um, and for actually getting feedback about writing, which you are less likely to get um, from uh, for, from people who are kind of outside your your exact area um, or from people who are you know not actual like collaborators of yours. Mm-hmm. So that can be another nice way of like seeking out, seeking out help in that way. And and so for you, how did you find those writing groups? Did you start them or were they kind of existing or how did you find your way there? So that was um, the one that I had that was the kind of the most successful was um, with two other colleagues in the psych department at Carleton. And it happened from like, you know, basically standing around the water cooler being like, I got to write a paper. I got to write a paper too. Hey, should we like set a deadline and then finish our papers by then and then read each other's? Ooh, that's a good idea. And mm-hmm. then, you know, keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. Did it help kind of like keep you on track? It did. It did. Um, I have I have since come up with new kind of uh, um, structures, frameworks in my writing, changes in my workflow that I think might make it less useful now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I think it, that was because at the time it was like, it's just up to me to write this paper. And, you know, I kind of didn't have other other collaborators right. um, who were working on stuff as much. Um, so it was, it was very useful for that. And it was also useful for, um, you know, kind of like thinking about how to pitch things earlier in my career and, um, you know, how to analyze data. And um, so I think it was, it was very useful then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've actually found, um, so currently... I don't think, uh, I hope I'm not offending anyone who I'm, I'm forgetting, but I didn't do my homework, but I don't think I kind of have any like ongoing groups like that, that are sort of explicitly for the purpose of, you know, supporting each other or whatever. Um, however, uh, but I do have like regular interactions with people. So for example, you and I, uh, connect regularly, uh, you know, nominally about the podcast and we do a podcast, but because of that connection, you know, I feel supported by you and I can, I ask you about things that aren't related to the podcast and so on. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I have, I have a few research collaborations that embarrassingly not very much research has gone on, but again, (laughs) nominally we meet every two weeks or every month or every two months um, to talk about a project. And what, what happens is, you know, so for some of these, you know, every time it's like, have you done anything? No. Have you? No. Uh, but then we don't just hang up. We then talk for half an hour or, or 45 minutes about like what's going on with us and like our mm-hmm. various challenges. And, you know, and some of those projects move ahead just slower than we'd like. And, and you know, some of them just between us don't really move ahead at all. But mm-hmm. I really appreciate having that regular contact. And so I think um, I haven't really thought of that as like a, an intentional support network thing. It just sort of like happens because I, I don't have enough time to do all these projects. Um, uh-huh. but, but it's, it's been kind of useful. And so I think, um, I've intentionally tried to maintain connections with people who I like and who are, who are supportive. And we just sort of, you know, call it research projects instead of like support group. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> but, but that's been really useful too. Right. So like, where do I, you know, those are people who are at similar career stages and whose opinion I respect and who are nice uh-huh. and, 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 uh, you know, conscientious and all that. Yeah. Yet another reason to have your research collaborators be nice human beings who you're eager to have connections with outside of research. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, dear listeners, happy end of 2020. 
And remember that as you are building your academic support and the people that help you, that uh, the juice and the squeeze is happy to be part of your pit crew. We're grateful to you. And remember, you can always reach out if there are things you want to talk to us about. And we wish you a very happy new year. See you in 2021. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 